Well, hey, I'm so glad that you're with us today. Whether you're tuning in live on Facebook, you're back in the chapel, or maybe you're at our West Campus this morning, I want to welcome you. We are glad that you're with us today. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you went down to the Fall Festival more than two times this past week? All right, a few of us. Uh, More than three times? Anybody? Okay, keep your hands up. More than five times. All right, some of us just camped down there, apparently. Uh, We've lived here for about five years, and this past week was actually our first time to go down to the Fall Festival, and it was quite an experience. And we were driving down on Friday evening, and we kept telling our kids, hey, we want to make some memories. We we, want to remember what we're about ready to experience. And I got to tell you, we did make some memories. I mean, there are just some things you can't unsee there. You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, it was so cool to bump into many of you and to see you serving in our community. So way to go being a light uh, in the midst of uh, our our community. So proud of you. Uh, Here at Crossroads for the past few weeks, we've been in this series called Adopted, where we have been learning more about who we are. We've been learning about our identity as people, and, and we've been defining our identity as the truest thing about us. Now, there are a lot of things that we could define ourselves by, but what is the truest thing about us? At the end of the day, where does our significance, worth, and value ultimately come from? Now, one of the biggest threats when it comes to understanding our identity is confusion about who we are and, and who we're not. Now, have you ever been watching a TV show and, or maybe an interview, maybe it's the news station or something, and you see an actor or an actress from a movie that you recently watched? I mean, maybe it's just me, but it's always a little bit strange because who they are in real life is different than who they were in the movie. I mean, it's the same person. They look and and talk the same, but it's like there's a disconnect that takes place between real life and what you saw on the movie. In fact, before an actor or an actress actually signs a contract to do a certain film, the company, the, the director, gives the actor or actress a, what's called an identity profile of the character that they are being asked to play in the movie. Why, why is that? Well, Hollywood knows that the success of you fulfilling that role determines how much you understand the character that you are about to play. And so in this series, we've been learning that uh, who we are, it's not really determined by what we do. Life isn't just this movie that's being played, but there's something greater taking place. And and so we have been walking through this book in the Bible called Ephesians that was a letter written about 2,000 years ago to some believers living in the ancient city of Ephesus. And and the writer of this letter, a guy by the name of Paul, he's trying to clarify the identity of those in the church. And so this letter is kind of like an identity profile for all followers of Jesus as we seek to understand how to live in light of what God has done for us. And so today we're going to continue along. If, if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and pick up in the book of Ephesians. All right. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a black Bible near you, in front of you, below you maybe. And uh, that's our gift to you. Feel free to take it home when you leave here today. And uh, Ephesians can be found towards the back, maybe fourth or third of your Bibles in between the books of, of Galatians and Philippians. Now, as you're turning there, and by the way, we're going to be we're going to start out in chapter four today. As you're turning there, there should be some uh, little white name tags on the end of your rows. What I want you to do, I want you to go ahead and pass those out right now. I want you to take a pen, and at the bottom of that name tag, the bottom half of it, I want you to simply write your first name. All right. 
Simply write your first name on the bottom half of that name tag, set it aside. We're going to get to, uh, get to it uh, later on in our time together today. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with it a little bit later on. But simply take that name tag and write your name at the bottom half on the bottom half of it, okay? Let's pick up in, in chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. Here's what, here's what Paul says. And so again, reminding, about it, reminding them about their identity. He says, hey, you were taught with way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on this new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, this is really important for us to hang on to here. You see, one thing that we've talked a lot about in this series is that who we are isn't who we were. All right, and so right here, we're told to put to death anything that resembles our former identity, our, our former way of life. The old is being replaced with what's new. You see, following Jesus isn't just about saying no or avoiding this and, and that. It's way more than that. All right, it's about pursuing a life that is right and true and, and, and holy and, and really what's best for us. Now, we're called to this not because we have to or because that our relationship with God is contingent upon us doing that. No, we're called to this lifestyle because that's really who we are. All right, your life will never change unless you really understand the kind of freedom that we're offered through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so what if this one statement could be true for you? Uh, understanding freedom, it comes back to this. Freedom is knowing God doesn't see you the way that you see yourself. Our freedom is knowing, is believing that God doesn't see you the way that you sometimes see yourself. I mean, how would our lives look different if we saw ourselves for who we really are rather than who we aren't or maybe what we've done? I recently learned about uh, an experiment that some sociologists did with a group of about 10 volunteers called the, the SCAR experiment. Now, in this experiment, they gathered 10 people at random. They had these 10 people come in into this room at separate times, all individually, and they put this massive scar on their face with some makeup, okay? Now, it was a hideous-looking scar, and uh, the, the point of the experiment was to go out into the world, into their everyday life, and then return and reporting if people treated them differently. And so before they left, they, they, after they put the scar on their face, someone came up with a mirror and they let them see this deformity uh, right on their cheek. And, and then they put the mirror down. And right before they left the room to walk through the mall and through their neighborhoods, uh, they said, hey, we need to make one more little adjustment. Well, unbeknownst to the volunteer, it wasn't an adjustment. They were completely wiping the scar off their face. Again, the volunteer didn't know it. They just thought they were making uh, some kind of improvement. Well, several minutes later, each volunteer came back individually and, and almost reported the exact same thing. They wanted to know, did people treat you differently? And they each came back and said, people were ruder to me. People weren't as patient. I felt like I was an inconvenience to people. I mean, I, I was treated like I, I was a piece of trash or a piece of garbage. In fact, one volunteer came back and reported, this person just kept staring at my scar the entire time. The scar wasn't even there. And so here was the conclusion that those sociologists came uh, with this experiment. They said all those volunteers saw their surroundings through the lens of this scar, through the lens of, of something that they thought was there, but it really wasn't. And you see, for something, for something to have power over you, it doesn't need to be true. You just have to believe that it's true, right? 
Many of us, our our life has been determined and has been motivated by by an illusion. We think that something is there. We think that we're defined by this, but the reality is we're not. And so this call to live in freedom is really a challenge for us to recognize who we already are and who we're not. But for this to happen in our life, we've got to identify what we're exactly freed from and what we're freed to. I mean, what's genuine, what's real, what's true, and, and what's an illusion, what's false, what's a lie? Paul continues saying this in verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. And speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. We're all members of the church. In your anger, do not sin. Man, this is a lot easier said than done, right? Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those who who are in need. And so Paul warns us not to give... Satan, a foothold in our life, what does that really look like? Well, we give the evil one a foothold whenever, whenever we believe something that may have the appearance of truth, but it's really an illusion. Whenever we run after something that's false, that's giving Satan a foothold. One time Jesus said that, that Satan's mission in life was to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. Throughout the Bible, he's referred to as the father of lies. You see, Satan has victory in our life when we lose sight of who we really are. And so the first thing that Paul tells us about our adoption, it goes like this. That we are freed from counterfeits and we are freed to authenticity. And so it's not just we're we're freed from something, but we're also freed to something else. We're freed from counterfeits to authenticity. That's why in verse 25, Paul says, hey, put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to one another. We learned this last week. Our words reveal who we think we are. Exaggeration. Deception, half-truths, gossip, criticism are all forms of speech that we use to elevate ourselves and to degrade people around us in some way. I want you to notice in verse 26 how Paul says, look, in your anger, don't sin. Now, he's not saying that anger is a sin. He's not saying that that falls short of what God says is best. No, he's simply making a point that that whenever we feel those emotions well up inside of us, that we really have a bigger chance of doing something that we regret or we're going to have to apologize for later on, right? I mean, anger causes us to overreact at times and and blow things out of proportion. You see, our feelings and and emotions uh, originate in two almond-sized structures inside our minds called the amygdala. Now, the amygdala, uh, the job of the amygdala is to send out certain signals throughout our body whenever we experience um, maybe rejection, whenever we sense a threat, or or we feel that uh, we have been um, victimized or harmed in some way. And so the amygdala sends out this uh, signal throughout the body, and usually that's precisely at the moment whenever we defend ourselves. We we well up and protect ourselves. We kind of go on the offensive at that point, all right? Now, it's so efficient at sending out this warning signal that it's quicker than the cortex, the part of our mind that actually is responsible for making rational decisions, for you know, analyzing, is this true? Is this a rational response or not? The amygdala sends this signal out before the, the cortex can maintain uh, control over the situation and analyze, okay, it, are, are things getting blown out of proportion here, right? And so when you're driving down the highway and somebody is driving 45 miles an hour in the fast lane and you want to react, that, that's your amygdala taking over, all right? 
Or maybe, you know, uh, some old lady, 90 years old, she cuts you off and then she throws you some obscene gesture out the window and, and you're not even out of the church parking lot yet, all right? <laughs> That's your megala. You want to get back. You, wanna, you, you want revenge. Or maybe your neighbors keeps their Christmas decorations up until April or May throughout the year. It, that, that actually just means you live in Kentucky, all right? <laughs> you know that's true. <laughs> and so what Paul's saying, in your anger, do not sin. Biologically and chemically, he's saying, hey, look, it, it's impo- almost nearly impossible for us to think rationally because of how your brain is wired. And so be careful. Be careful. Do you control your anger? Or does your anger control you? Do you control your anger or does your anger control you? Now, perhaps the most pervasive counterfeit all around us is what we read in verse 3 of chapter 5. And Paul says, hey, look, among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Why? Because these are improper for God's holy people. I realize sex is a really good thing that was created for us to, to enjoy by a husband and wife within the bounds of marriage. But like fire if expressed outside of the boundaries of what God says is right and true, then it's only a matter of time until we'll end up burned. You see, the misuse of sex is really the result of a forgotten or misplaced identity. You see, each of us, men and women, we use sex in in different ways. Men use sex to fill a void, to feel accomplished, to, to feel respected maybe. Women use sex to feel loved, valued, and, and accepted. And use this gift that God has given us, it reveals we, we've forgotten where true worth, acceptance, significance ultimately comes from. I bet if a lot of us were honest right now, we carry around some wounds from our past because you or maybe somebody that you trusted, you misused this, this gift and you underestimated the power of sex. Now you didn't know it in the moment, did you? I mean, you thought it was love. You, you thought he was the one. You thought nobody would ever find out. You, you thought it was harmless. You, you thought that, you know, you were only one decision away from, from wholeness and, and fulfillment. I mean, everything looked good on the surface, but then you had this moment where you realized, I've been ripped off. That moment left you feeling dirty, ashamed, used, and insecure. Now, I don't want you to miss this. You see, buying into the counterfeit version of sex that our world sells us, it doesn't lessen our value before God, but it causes you to believe lies that it brings with it. And that's some of our stories. And so as a result, you, you end up confused about who you really are. And do you sometimes feel like you're walking around wearing chains? Do you sometimes wonder how much longer you can maintain this front or have you been living with this weight for for so long that you've just forgotten that it's even there? You see, it's totally possible. It is totally possible for us to be saved, but to not live in freedom. You see, there's so much more for us to experience. And that's why freedom is all about seeing ourselves as, as God truly sees us. And Paul says that we are in Christ. And when you were in Christ, you are pure, you are right, you are holy, you are accepted. You know what? Even when we fail to live up to that. And you may say, well, Patrick, that's just too good to be true. There's no way that can be a reality for my life. I mean, that is just unbelievable. Do you know how I've lived? And you know what? That's what grace is all about. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. Look back at uh, verse 30 in chapter 4. 
Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What's this all about? Well, the Holy Spirit is the living God residing within each person who has acknowledged, I I need to be saved, I need to be rescued, Jesus be my Lord. And so whenever you believe that Jesus really was who he said he was and you put your trust in him, it doesn't mean you have all your questions answered, it just means, hey, I'm gonna choose to believe that this is true. The Holy Spirit takes up residence inside you. The Holy Spirit is the living God, all right? And Paul says that that you were sealed. What, What is that talking about? Well, in the ancient world, this seal, the word that Paul uses here, it was actually like a legal signature that you would use to properly claim uh, property. It, it was the way that you um, claimed ownership of something. And so in other words, Paul's saying, look, the Holy Spirit inside you is proof that, that I've chosen you. The Holy Spirit is my way of saying, hey, you're, you're, you're mine. I, you belong to me. Let's continue with this. Paul says, Hey, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Quit posting stupid stuff on social media, forgiving each other, just as in Christ. didn't really say that, just seeing if you're paying attention. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Why? Well, because Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, this, this is what it looks like for us to walk in freedom. Hanging on to bitterness, rage, anger, hatred, it's nothing but enslavement. And so if you find yourself struggling with that today, then you need to really get to the root of the issue and ask yourself why. Therefore, it's important for us to recognize this next layer of freedom that our adoption promises us. It goes like this. We're freed from control to generosity. We're freed from control to generosity. You see, everything mentioned in verse 31 is our way of wanting total control. We want to manipulate circumstances and people to, to our liking, right? And so if somebody talks bad about us, then we're going to you know, throw their name through the mud as well. If someone offended us or hurt us, then we're going to strategize ways to get back at them. You want them to kind of feel the same kind of pain that, that, that they put you through. And this just shows that we want to be in control. But you see, hanging on to anger and withholding forgiveness is basically saying to God, now we wouldn't say this out loud, but it's basically saying to God, hey, I I can do your job better than you. I I don't don't really trust you to make this right. I really don't trust you enough to to make this hurt better. And, And I really don't trust you to deal with this person in an appropriate way for what they did to me. And at the end of the day, it simply reveals that we have forgotten who we are because we have lost sight of how much we've been forgiven. Last week, I talked about how uh, I got a speeding ticket about two weeks ago coming back from a uh, little weekend getaway with my family. And uh, I got to tell you that my wife, Savannah, was so gracious and understanding with me. I mean, she kind of joked with me in the moment, gave me a hard time. But then it was a few minutes later, we were laughing about it. And I'm sure that she would have much rather spend $178 somewhere else, okay, rather than paying the state of Kentucky uh, for for my fine. But but she was so understanding. Some of you go, how fast were you going? It's not important, all right? Now, I want you to imagine with me for just a minute that she calls me up this week. I'm at work, and, and she says, hey, you're never going to believe this, but, but I just got pulled over, and I got a $50 citation. 
Now, Rent, remember, again, she, she was patient and understanding with my $178 fine. How do you think it would go over if in that moment I just started laying into her? What, what, what do you mean you got pulled over? What were you thinking? I mean, come on. What, uh, do you know how much that's going to cost? Where are you going to pay for it? You know what? Don't even come home tonight because it's just going to be, uh, we're just going to fight back and forth. You don't deserve it. I mean, how well do you think that would go over? Probably not too well, right? I mean, it doesn't make sense at all because she was so gracious and forgiving of a fine of mine that was nearly four times the amount of what she got, yet I couldn't forgive $50 worth of, of something that she did wrong. And, you know, the thing is this, the failing to forgive somebody is symptomatic of failing to really understand how much Jesus has forgiven you. None of us have been sinned against more than, than God. Sometimes you'll hear say around here, if the biggest sinner that you know isn't you, you don't know yourself too well. Isn't that true? Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's not just forgetting that something happened and then moving on. No, it's a decision and a process. And the reality is how we respond to people that have heard us tell us where we've been finding our identity the whole time. It's kind of like a test to see if we really believe that God doesn't see us the way that we sometimes see ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but one of my least favorite things to do around the house is um, pulling weeds in, in our different garden beds. Anybody share with me in that concern? Yeah, we can start a support group. Okay, I see you. I mean, I, I can't stand pulling weeds, and I just do whatever I can to not do it whenever my wife asks me to go out and pull some weeds. Well, a couple months ago, she asked me to do that in our front garden bed, and, uh, and it takes about three to four hours to really uh, pull up every weed in our front garden bed. I know from experience, okay? Well, on this day, I just didn't have the patience to do it because you got to pull up the root, and then um, it's just a tedious task. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back to the garage. I'm going to get out my trimmer, all right, my weed eater and I'm just going to cut down the weeds that way. I mean, that Savannah's not here. She's not going to know any different, right? She came home, all right, 15 minutes later, had the whole thing done. It was amazing. And she came home and said, that, that looks incredible. And, and it did. And, and you know what? The next day, it looked great as well. I mean, you couldn't see any weeds. Second day after that, no weeds whatsoever. I mean, I had discovered something great, and I was proud of it. But on the third day, but on the third day, what happened? Yeah, those weeds started growing right back. I mean, I couldn't get rid of them. I couldn't believe it. Why? Because I hadn't uprooted them. I had only cut off the surface of them. I didn't really dig down below the surface to where, to where, it, was, where it was growing. And so Paul right here, he's saying, hey, if, if you want to experience true freedom, then when someone hurts you, it's tempting to act like it, it never happened and we get determined just to move on and that, and that may work for a while, but is it possible that denying forgiveness or avoiding the hard work that forgiveness requires, it, it's the kind of soil where, where bitterness takes root in our heart and it ends up spilling out sideways. I gotta tell you, back in February, I was walking through just one of those seasons, a few weeks where I just I felt dismissive. I could tell I was angrier than I normally am and I uh, was and... Um, I could just tell that I was short with people and, and I just felt like I'm just, I'm callous, you know. I, didn't, I don't know if you've ever been there before. So, so I called up a, a buddy of mine. He's a mentor. He's a pastor out in a church actually in, in Las Vegas. And he said, here, here's what I want you to do, Patrick. I want you to do something that, that somebody told me to do years ago and it's really helped. And so I, I did it. Next day, I sat down in a chair and I just began to write out 
specific names of people that I felt like had, had hurt me, people that I felt like you owe me something, right? I mean, you said this or you did this and those names, I wrote down the names as those faces came to mind and it was really surprising to me because the list was only like four or five people long. And I kept thinking about, well, who else has, has hurt me? Because again, I, I've been living with this for a while and, and I'm, I'm experiencing a lot of anger. And so you would think that there would be more people who, who have caused me harm or that I need to forgive, yet it's like four or five people long. So I called up my buddy and I said, hey, there weren't that many people. And here's what he said back to me. He said, you know what, Patrick, there never is. It's just amazing once you actually write it out on paper, how it's just a few people that are holding you hostage. But number one is, the, is yourself. Is there a phone call that you need to make today that spans between where you are and the freedom God wants you to experience? Is there a conversation you need to have with somebody that you say, hey, you said this to me a few weeks ago and I haven't gotten over it, or you did this, what did you mean by that? Take a look at the imagery that Paul used to describe what we've been freed from in verse eight. <clears throat> He said, for, for you were once in darkness, you once were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he says, and find out what pleases the Lord, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It, it's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. You see, our adoption has transferred us from, from trying to find our way in the darkness to now living in the reality of light. You see, we weren't made for the darkness. This isn't the place that we were designed to live. No, we don't need to hide if God truly accepts us and sees us for who we really are. Therefore, the last aspect of our adoption that communicates to us today goes like this. We're freed from fear to transparency. We're freed from fear to transparency. You see, we hide, ignore, deny, or suppress the things in our life that, that we tend to fear. It, it's more comfortable to just hide some of those things and not acknowledge them because we fear what it may cost if others found out. But Paul is literally saying in our text that, that we have no reason to hide. Hiding and covering things up, it, it, that defined our life before Jesus, but hiding describes a life spent in darkness, and we may not know it. We, we may not know it. But whatever it is that we're hiding, we're giving power to it. I mean, if the fear of darkness inside us is greater than our willingness to be transparent, then it's only a matter of time until the stuff that we're suppressing, it begins to spill out sideways in, in, in other forms. Now, I want you to um, maybe write this down. I'm gonna, I got this new little thing last week, as you probably know, and I think it's cool. I'm going to use it again. I'm not going to misspell Jesus this week, though. Yes, I did that last Saturday night. <clears throat> okay, so let, let's, let's illustrate what it is that we're talking about here. And we're going to draw you, okay? This represents every person. This represents who you are, okay? A healthy, whole version of you when you were first born, okay? And this just we're just going to refer to as self, all right? This is a healthy whole version of you, and, and, and you're together for a while, but then because you're born into a broken and dark world, all of a sudden, you start to realize, well, something's not right. Something's off. I don't measure up. You're searching for acceptance. You're searching for wholeness. And, and so it's not, it's not too long until you start to realize that, that you have this need deep down. All right? You don't have to believe in the Bible is true. You, you don't even have to be a Christian to just know this is true, that, that you're searching for something to fill this void in you. 
And so the way that we respond to this is what we're going to call shame. This is this outer circle here. All right, what's shame all about? Well, this is the way that we respond to something when we realize that we're inferior, that we don't measure up, that we're not good enough, that that we don't have the answer. You see, shame is a form of fear that controls us. We know that something's off, and and so we respond. We we live this way. We put on this front, and so then that leads us to our third circle that we're going to refer to as our false self. Because something is off about you, because there's brokenness in you, because you're lonely, because you know that you aren't good enough, you don't measure up, you portray this image around other people and you hide some stuff that you don't want other people to know because you're searching for acceptance. You want love and if they knew that about you, you wouldn't have it. And and we all portray this false self in different relationships that we have and and your false self can be modified by a single word. Maybe maybe you hide behind money, you hide behind success, you hide behind your career, you you hide behind your role in the home, you, you hide behind humor, you hide behind your personality, being the life of the party always. What is that version of your false self that, that you always portray. And you see, if we're honest with ourselves, this right here, it's, it's nothing but slavery. It's nothing but enslavement. And if you are a child of God, if you have been adopted, if you are a follower of Jesus living in this false version of you, it's nothing but an illusion because that's not who you really are. Well, why can I say that? How can I say that with such certainty? How do I know that? I've been freed from that. Well, it goes back to this really fancy Bible word called propitiation. All right, say it with me now. It's a fun word to say. Propitiation. Propitiation, all right, very good. Propitiation, what does that mean? Well, it describes that moment when Jesus literally stood in your place on the cross and absorbed all of God's wrath that you deserve because of sin in your life and the brokenness in your life. God took on the penalty for you. He was basically your substitute. And in that moment, Jesus took on what you deserved. That's why Paul said this, chapter five, verse two, again, look. He said, Christ loved us. And he gave himself up for us as what? A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, Jesus, he stood in our place and he took on the blame that, that we deserved. Last Sunday night, about 59 people headed to a country music concert in Las Vegas, only to never return home. We saw evil at its worst. And there's videos that have surfaced through social media and the news as a gunman opened fire on a massive crowd. And this is just one of those tragedies, if we're honest with ourselves. There, nothing can make sense of it. I mean, why? What, what was the motive? And we're all searching for answers. We all want to point to a political issue and say, well, it's this, it's that. But look, it, it's not a gun issue, it's a sin issue. We're born into a dark and broken world, and this is just the result of it. And again, Why? One of the victims was a guy by the name of Sonny Melton. He and his wife Heather had flown to Vegas a few days before to enjoy this concert. And when the the gunman opened fire and everyone started running, Heather said that that Sonny, her husband, immediately grabbed her from behind it and he threw himself over her. Now when he did that, Heather said almost immediately that, that he felt the impact of a bullet penetrating his back, striking his back and She turned around and quickly realized that that he had become unconscious and was pronounced dead just a few minutes later at a nearby hospital. 
In an interview with ABC News, Heather said that she was sitting in the hospital after her husband had just been pronounced dead. She looked down at her clothes and she realized that, that Sonny's blood, it, it was all over her shirt, it was all over her shorts, it was, every, it was everywhere. If you think about it, if her husband's blood wasn't on her clothing, then she would have been the one who lost her life that night. His blood represented her life. His blood meant meant that she would live another day. You see, Sonny, he stepped between death and his wife and and he basically said, hey, take me instead. Let, Let her live. And this may sound too good to be true. Maybe you've heard this a thousand times before in your life, but late on a Thursday night about 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was praying beside three of his closest friends that had just fallen asleep in in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus knew that that he was just moments away from being arrested and crucified. He, he He could have stopped it at any point. I mean, he was the sovereign creator king. He's the warrior king. He could have called things off just at a moment's notice. He could have rescued himself from the agonizing death that he knew was before him. He knew what the next day was gonna hold, yet he didn't stop it. Why? Jesus knew he could either save himself or he could save us, but he couldn't save both. And so when the pressure was on and he had to decide to free himself or to free us, Jesus stood up and he said, look, take take me instead. Let them live. We needed a new name. And the cross of Jesus Christ was the only way for that new name to happen. You see, freedom is knowing that God doesn't see us the way that we sometimes see ourselves. He sees you differently because you are in Christ. And so what that literally practically means is that God doesn't look down at you and say, I can't believe you, you're a disappointment. No, he looks at you and says, no, you're, you're my child. The name he has for you isn't drunk. No, it's, you're my son. The name he has for you isn't mistake or an accident. No, it's, You are chosen, you are redeemed. The name he has for you is an addict. No, the name he has for you is you are forgiven. You see, Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Jesus, he knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. And that's what the cross tells us. That's what the cross reminds us. And you know what? It's time that some of us, we start to really believe that and we start to live in the reality of this new identity and this new name that we have. So here's what we're gonna do. I asked this band to come, our band to come out and play a song called All Things New that I heard this past week. And, and there's a line in it that goes like this, we are free, we are yours, we are free, we are free, all, all things are new. All right, if, if you really began to believe and you really began to, began to experience that, that God doesn't see you the way that you see yourself, what, what name would you want God to call you? What, what new name could describe your better identity because of what Christ did for you on the cross? Maybe it's chosen, maybe it's redeemed, maybe it's adopted, maybe it's son, it's daughter. What is that name? As the band plays this song, whatever name comes to mind, I want you to write it down on that name tag that you have, all right? Hang on to it because I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna do with it a little bit later. But as these words are sung, soak in the lyrics, and when that name comes to mind of the name that you wanna claim for yourself, Simply write it down on top of your old name, cross out your old name, and on top, you write whatever that new name is. 
Let's pray. God, the fact that we can have a, a fresh start, a new beginning, a second chance, a better future, for a lot of us, that just seems too good to be true because we know who we are. We, we know what we've done. We know the lies and the whispers and labels that have been projected onto us, that what runs through our mind. And, and so God, to, to say that, that you don't see us the way that we see ourselves, honestly, it seems too good to be true. And yet, Lord Jesus, you've chosen us. No matter the mess and brokenness that we bring to the table, you tell us over and over again, hey, you're my child. There's nothing we can do or not do that would make you love us any more or any less. It's time we start believing that. It's time that we start walking in freedom. And so God, thank you that you make all things new and you promise us freedom. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.